jump in. Is everybody ready? We're going to have a little bit of fun here tonight. Everybody ready for some fun? Can everyone catch? Yes. Huh? Can everyone catch? Jen, can you catch? Everyone back there? Catch? Oh, oh. Lefef is not watching. Okay, we're going to have a bit of fun. Right at the back there. People right at the back. How's my throwing? Oh, oh, oh. Okay. All right. If I can have my first slide. Please. He picked up the lemons that fate had sent him and started a lemonade stand. So most of us will know that phrase. It was penned by Albert Hubbard in 1915, originally. Most of us will know the phrase, uh, life throws you lemons, gives you lemons, make lemonade. Quite an amazing story around the background to this phrase. Originally penned by American writer, as I said, Albert Hubbard in 1915. Speaking of a friend, if I can have the next slide, dwarf actor Marshall P. Wilder. He penned it as part of his obituary. There go the lights. There they come. He penned it as part of this man's obituary, and he was writing uh, the last words that would be shared at his memorial, and he entitled the message, The King of the Jesters. You see, this amazing man, Marshall P. Wilder, was a dwarf, but even though all these, this, even though this was his reality, he was known for his optimistic attitude, incredible achievements in the face of his disabilities. As you can see, he was an actor, a humorist, and a sketch artist. Later, Dale Carnegie took the phrase and kind of simplified it a bit, and he actually worded it slightly differently to what we know as well. But he said, if you have a lemon, who needs a lemon? Anyone else? Jen? Got lots of lemons. Oh, good catch, Jen. Anyone else? Drew's is looking for a lemon. There we go. Mercy. Oh, got some good fielding, some good, some good people here. He said, if you have a lemon, make a lemonade. The issues that we get thrown are often not, unfortunately, just lemons, are they? We use that phrase kind of flippantly and lightly, but often they're a lot more challenging than a few lemons. Not facing immense financial pressure. Maybe it's relational issues. Maybe it's with your spouse, maybe it's with your parents, maybe it's with your kids. Maybe you're going through a whole bunch of really challenging things. Maybe it's divorce, maybe there's all sorts of things going on. Maybe it's work, maybe you don't have work, maybe there are situations at work that are incredibly stressful. And often these things begin to shape us and determine us. They begin to direct us, they begin to influence us and lead us to different measures of stress and strain, and sometimes they go quite far if we're being honest. Maybe we have thoughts and tendencies towards really difficult and bad things. We try and often escape all of these with various different methods. Maybe it's turning to some sort of substance abuse. And somewhere on this journey, we begin to ask the questions, maybe early on, maybe depending where you are, say, but God, what's going on here? 
I don't remember this. I don't remember signing up for this. Why is all this happening to me, God? Now, relationship with God begins to take a significant hit, particularly if the pressure doesn't reside or the tide doesn't turn. It's easy to begin to mistrust God, maybe even hate God, maybe even turn away from God altogether. And even his community, even his church that are, are meant to be there to help us, to hold us, to encourage us, to, to build us up. And all these influences, all these lemons that come flying our way, begin to shape and be the voices in our lives that begin to dictate everything that's happening. And we begin to live led by these lemons, by these things. Really just feel like saying, can I not just get some strawberries? Some strawberries and cream would be great. Those I can do. We've been doing a series on heroes of the faith looking at men and women who in the face of many lemons, huge obstacles, seen and unseen, have had faith, they've believed, and they've trusted in God in spite of all of these things. I love the famous text. It's, we, we've based this series out of Hebrews 11. And verse 8 says, By faith Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. I don't know who of you last heard God say, okay, here, go to this place, the middle of wherever that may be, and trust me. But we're not looking at Abraham tonight, we're looking at Joseph. Joseph. Joseph, the son of Jacob, not Joseph married to Mary in the New Testament. We're looking at Joseph. And we find the story, all 13 chapters, although 12 of them are only about Joseph. One of them snuck in the middle there is all about Judah, verses of the, of the first chapter or two. But this is Joseph's story in a nutshell. The first point so I just want to give you a quick overview of Joseph's life. Real quick, Joseph was the favorite son of Jacob. Last week, I mentioned Ray spoke on Jacob. So if you want to have a listen to that on the podcast, you know where to go. And uh, Joseph is this, the favorite son of Jacob. Literally, Jacob is the patriarch at the time. He is the guy. And he has 12 sons. And Jacob is literally the favorite. The, the father, Jacob, when well, I was saying Jacob, Joseph. Joseph is the favorite. And uh, Joseph literally gets everything he wants. And for this, his brothers hate him. But this isn't the only reason why his brothers hate him. Joseph had been given an incredible gift by God to dream and to interpret dreams. And so he has this dream, very simply, where he sees his brothers bowing down to him. And his father, in fact, bowing down to him. And he, in his naivety, at the, at the, around the age of 17, this is where we pick up the story, he tells everybody about this dream. And they hate him for it. And very briefly, we're going to look at that portion of the story later. But he gets sold into slavery by his biological brothers. I don't know if anyone here has been sold into slavery, let alone by your brothers. But this is the story, and it's very real. 
And so the next point goes on from there. He then gets sold to Potiphar, uh, an Egyptian master, very highly ranked. In the, he gets taken down to Egypt out of, out of Jacob's land, out of where the Israelites are meant to be, and uh, gets sold to this master. And the master's wife wants to have her way with this handsome young man that is Joseph. And he says no, he has no right to because he's a slave and he gets imprisoned for it. We're going to look at that portion of the story as well. Next point. And so he gets put into prison and from there he makes friends. He gets incredibly favored by God. And uh, at one point he makes friends with a cupbearer and a baker that were put into prison as well. And they have this dream, and so Joseph uses his gifts again and uh, interprets their dreams, and they, these two guys both get out. But he said to them before they get out, he said, just hang on, if you do get out, don't forget me. Help me get out. And uh, they forget about him. You can excuse the baker because he loses his life, he gets his head chopped off. But the cupbearer forgets about him completely. For two years, another two years go by, and uh, after 13 years, the next point, after 13 years of being in slavery and imprisoned, lots and lots of lemons, tons of lemons, and we're going to look at that in a moment. He interprets, sorry, just go back to the previous point. He interprets a dream on, the behalf, on behalf of Pharaoh, and Pharaoh is just amazed and God's favor over Joseph's life puts him into a position of authority. Literally, two see to, to Pharaoh becomes prime minister of Egypt. And to realize or so later, he's reunited with his whole family, with Jacob and all the brothers. They all come down to Egypt. They get given the most gorgeous piece of land in the whole of the nation of Egypt, Goshen. And from there, they live out their days in absolute splendor. And the whole story of Israel being enslaved suddenly takes a turn as the next Pharaoh comes into power. But that's for another day. Right, so that's the story of Joseph. And we're going to look at just a little bit, predominantly around his 13 years of being surrounded by lemons. Although Joseph is an interesting character because he was, a lot of commentators will say that he was something of a type of Christ. In other words, he was the goody two-shoes. He didn't do anything wrong. He really didn't. Everything that he did, he was just radically obedient to God. And we're going to take some lessons out of that. And so I want to look at tonight, how do we look at Joseph's life how he trusted God. You see, Joseph might not have made many mistakes, but he managed to navigate by faith, by trusting in God, through a series of really difficult years. 13, to be exact, as I've already mentioned. And how through all of this, he managed to stay the course and follow Jesus. So what can we learn? How can we apply this to our lives? What are the responses we need to make to tonight? 
So I want to jump, if you've got your Bible, if you want to turn with me to Genesis chapter 37, we're going to look at one or two verses. Genesis chapter 37, verse 23 to 28. This is when Joseph gets sold into slavery. And so we're going to pick up the story. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him bare. They stripped him, rather, just stripped him of his robe. To the ornate, stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing. And they took him and threw him into the cistern. The cistern was empty and there was no water in it. I love this next line. Please. Next slide. Brothers then, as they sat down to eat their meal, the brothers who hated him so much throw him into a cistern and then they sit down to have a meal. Just a little indicative insight there, I think, to how much they really cared about him. And they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, myrrh, and they were on their way down to Egypt. Judah, a very crafty brother, said, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him. Real marketing edge kind of a guy here, looking for a buck. Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother. He starts to really butter it up. Real good pitch here to, to make a buck. He is our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. So right off the bat, I want us to recognize what happens here to Joe. We don't actually hear from Joseph in this part of the story at all. A guy who's 17 years old, sold by his blood brothers into slavery. This is a real story. I don't know if you can imagine that. Maybe, maybe you're with your family. You come out the bathroom, and the next thing, there's cable ties. You're getting handcuffed. There's bags over your head. And you're getting thrown into a van, and you don't know what's about to happen. Joseph, at this point, must have feared for his life, not knowing what was about to happen. A truckload of lemons, as it were, being poured out over his head. Maybe he was going to lose his life. Maybe he would never see the sun again. Maybe he was going to be pushed into a cell to break rocks for the rest of his life. Long gone are the days of being the favored son of a patriarch. These were all gone. And so the story goes on in chapter 39. We pick it up in chapter 39, verse 2. He's in Egypt now and says, The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered. And he lived in the house of, the, of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar, that's the name of the, of the master, put him in charge of his household, and he trusted him, trust, and entrusted to his care everything he owned. Joseph, I can only imagine at this point, in the beginning of the story of being a slave, you've got to know there were different types of slaves, different types of masters at the time. But for Joseph going into this context, he wouldn't have known what was going to happen. But I want us to take a few things away 
as we begin to look at the journey, the faith, the trust that Joseph had in God. First of all, it says there, the Lord was with Joseph. You might have many lemons in your hands at the moment. Maybe there are things a lot bigger than lemons as we've already gone through. Do you know that Jesus is with you? None of us right now seated here, as far as I'm aware, are literally in some sort of slavery, physical slavery. But Joseph was. And in that space, he knew that the Lord was with him. Do you believe that right now, wherever you are, whatever, you, whatever you're facing, that the Lord is with you? Never to leave you, never to forsake you, wherever you might be, he is there with you. It goes on to say, his master saw that the Lord was with him. In verse 3, when his master saw that the Lord was with him. Joseph. I don't know when last you've tried to share about Jesus or, or be an example of Jesus when you're stressed, when you're depressed, when you can't see the wood for the trees, where you're exhausted, where you're angry, where you're bitter, where there's hatred everywhere inside of you. A bit of an honest story. I know only too well, being married and having kids, that if I lose my cool, if I get upset with my wife, my kids don't see Jesus. But here in this story, we see Joseph, a slave, but yet the master saw the Lord. The master saw the Lord. How on earth did Joseph do this? Joseph wasn't crying in a bucket. He wasn't sitting around being Eeyore. If I can have that next slide. I think most of us know Eeyore. If I close my eyes, will the mess disappear? The, co the conversation wasn't that sort of millennial conversation around, well, I'm just not sure I'll get to work today. Things are a little bit difficult. One too many lemons on top of my duvet. I don't think I'm going to get out. I might just have to start trying to adult maybe Wednesday. We'll give it a go then. And if that isn't the case, we love to start to blame others. You see, these lemons were given to you. Maybe. And Taylor Swift says, look what you made me do. She wrote a song for me for this message, and I thought I would share it. And she writes the phrase, look at what you made me do. I mean, how often do we do that? No, no, but this person did this thing to me. They committed this sin against me. And now, and, and we've let it in. We've let it begin to shape who we are. The decisions that we make, our outlook on life. You see, Joseph had this sin against him of being sold into slavery. 
by his brothers. He had nothing to do with it. Innocent, completely. But yet, as he journeys, he's not crying in a corner, woe is me, I don't know how I'm going to get out of here, taking his life, I don't know. No, when the master saw him, the master saw the Lord. Joseph had caught something here. Joseph has got to teach us something here tonight. You see, we start to blame others. We blame these things, these little lemons. Maybe I'm being a little facetious here. Maybe they're not that small. Maybe they're big. But are they bigger than Jesus? You see, we ultimately begin to give them authority. We partner with them. We give them power to begin to direct our lives. To start, do you know what a thermostat is? You go, and the water's too hot or too cold. And you've got to, they make these silly little screws on them that you've got to get a screwdriver and adjust to get the temperature right. See, do we let these lemons of our life come in and beget, begin to set the temperature of our lives? And, and they, they're legitimate big things. Being sold into slavery, being one. Financial pressure, etc., etc. Do we give them authority? Do we give them power? Look what you made me do. Maybe it's a relationship we're in. Look what you've made me do. Look at the behavior that I'm now acting out because of what you've done. But yet God's given us the authority to lead our lives and to follow him. See, Joseph had every reason to be angry, upset, depressed, anxious, bitter, you name it. But he knew a couple things that we see just out of these few verses. He knew God was with him. Again, I've said this already. Do you know that God is with you wherever you might be, wherever you might find yourself in, whatever journey you're on, whatever that thing might be, do you truly know that God is with you, that he hasn't left you, that he hasn't forsaken you? Secondly, he knew who God was. You see, at that point in time, he had an earthly master, Pharaoh. No, sorry, Potiphar, jumping the gun here. At that time, Potiphar was his master. But he knew who his heavenly master was, his heavenly father, his heavenly king, his heavenly savior that rules and reigns over his life. Even though he may be enslaved, he knew who his heavenly father was, even though he was in slavery at this point. I can have that next slide. So, even though he was a slave of an earthly king, he lived and worked and believed as a son of a heavenly king. And then he knew that he was a son, a favored son, of a king of heaven, of a heavenly king, of a master of heaven, a beautiful, loving father. Do you know here tonight that you're favored, that you're loved, 
by a heavenly king that adores you. Not just adores you, not that just lavishes you with his love, but that cares for you, that has a plan for you, that wants you to walk with him. You see, our identity is in Jesus, not in our existence or our context, not in our imprisonment, not in the lemons that are thrown at us that we're carrying. Maybe it's a bag, maybe it's a truck of lemons. But our identity is in Jesus. I love Jesus. In the Gospels, we see him before he's done a thing, at the age of 30, appearance, if you like. And before he's done anything, he goes to John the Baptist and gets baptized. And as he comes out the water, audibly, the Father in heaven speaks out over him and says, this is my child, accepted, whom I love, with him I am well pleased. Those are the words that are spoken out over every one of us here tonight as we're in Christ. Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, I often love going there and just reading and allowing it to encourage my soul. One of the phrases out of chapter 1, it says that we have been made in his pleasure and his will. The Father's pleasure and his will were there to create us. We have had, there's intent over our life. There's purpose over our life. And so the story goes on and uh, Potiphar puts everything in Joseph's care and the story goes on and on and uh, Joseph just continues to walk with the Father. I want to ask us right now, What are the things that God's bringing to mind? What are the lemons that we're giving authority to and significance to in our lives? The things that aren't actually meant to be the ones setting our temperature in our lives, the things that are directing us, the, that are directing our behavior, directing our emotions, that are directing our decisions. What are those things? Because I really do believe that he's asking you to let go of them. They might not necessarily disappear this evening. But actually, he's asking us to let go of these lemons and begin to take a hold of a loving Father. A loving Father that is with us, that can be trusted, that accepts us and loves us. The story for, for Joseph just seems to take it dip and a dip and a dip and a dip and a dip and we're not going to get into it all now but as Joseph is in the, in the, in the house of, of Potiphar his, as I mentioned earlier in the sort of overview of his life uh, his wife comes running up to him and says this um, now Joseph was well built and handsome and after a while his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said come to bed with me not to just hang out but to go to bed with him with her but he refused 
With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. And then hear these beautiful words. Joseph says, how then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And sin against God. The story goes on to say that she repeatedly sought him out, wanted him, and he refused again and again and again, tempted again and again and again. But it says he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her, not a hint of indiscretion. I wonder if we could say that. In the face of repeated temptation, again and again and again, where no one's looking, where no one's watching, Joseph was resolute in his love for the Father. He didn't say he knew what he was doing. By him refusing her, he automatically knew that he was going to prison. There was no doubt. He was the slave, she was the master. She could request anything that she wanted of her slave, including him going to bed with her. But he said, no, I don't want to get in trouble with your boss, with your husband. I don't want to look bad. I've actually got somebody else on the side. There weren't all these excuses. His reason was, I don't want to sin against the Father. How are we doing in that area? Is this how we live completely sold out to Jesus when no one's watching. Even when this was her right to ask and request this of him, demand this of him, he said, no, I love the Father far too much. And so Joseph gets a few more lemons added to his truck and he gets imprisoned. And the story goes on, Joseph gets put into prison, and in prison, again, it's like the same movie. The jail warden starts to give him all this favor because he sees the Lord with Joseph. He sees the Lord with Joseph. And even in all of this, this is over a period of 13 years constantly being put under pressure, constantly being locked up, constantly being told what to do, completely innocent at every turn. Joseph was able to navigate by faith, by trusting in a God who he knew was with him, who hadn't forgotten about him. He knew who he was in Jesus regardless of what on paper, what lemons were around him. There's a phrase that's very appropriate for the story, and it goes, does our theology inform our experience, or does our experience inform our theology? The word theology basically means the character and the nature of God. So do we allow our experience 
all these lemons, all these lemons that we might have, our experience on paper, our financial difficulties, our, our relational struggles, our work situations, maybe there's history in our family, there's the, et cetera, et cetera. God's putting his finger on those things, I believe, right now. But do we allow those things to shape our view of God? To decide whether or not we can trust him. To decide whether or not he's good. Oh, but God, you, you've somehow, this is your fault. Or do we allow the true character and the true nature of God to determine our experience. You see, Joseph in this story does. For 13 years of persecution, if you like, he holds on to the truth of who God really is. Even when everything seems to be going wrong, he is able to cling to, cling to the Father. He believed and trusted and had faith in a loving father, even though he didn't know the end. He didn't know the end. We read this story, ah, 13 years, maybe we could have done it. He didn't know. He didn't know how long it was going to be. What about your life? What are the things that you're allowing to shape your experience, to shape your faith, your belief in God? Or is God's nature and true character the rudder of your soul? I'm going to ask uh, Carl. Where are you, bro? Carl's going to come up and play a song for us in a moment. And I'd love us to respond to God's word here tonight. You see, we know the end of Joseph's story. 13 years, he gets promoted to prime minister, he uses the gift of dream interpretation, and, Joseph, and Pharaoh puts him in, literally makes him prime minister of Egypt, the most powerful nation. God says that he'll walk us through whatever valley comes our way. He doesn't leave us there. The focus of God's heart isn't about whether we've been able to make become prime minister of the most powerful nation in the world at the time or not. God's concern is that we have our gaze firmly and securely set on him. In whatever season we might find ourselves in. That we are his living images bringing glory to his name. Because after all it's about Jesus and his kingdom. See whether it was Potiphar, whether it was Pharaoh, whether it was the prison warden, they saw the Lord. Because Joseph had decided to let go of the lemons that were dished out to him. And so I'd love us to respond tonight. I don't know if we can maybe stand the call begins to play.
But I include myself in tonight. I just want to open, the, open up the bag. Yeah, I'll just empty the bag out. Yeah, empty that on the table. I'd love us to respond to this. And as I've prepared for this, I feel like there are a lot of us here, if not every one of us. As I've prepared, this word has gotten into me. And the Lord said, well, what about this thing? You're allowing that thing to shape your husbanding. You're allowing that thing to shape your view, your trust, your faith in Jesus. You're allowing that situation to navigate you. It's making the decisions for you instead of allowing God to speak. That's great, guys. Thanks. It's fine if they fall. It's great. It's great. And so I'd, I'd love to invite us up. I'm going to be here. I'm going to respond. To come and grab a lemon. Not to take another lemon, but to hold it and do one of two things tonight. I think there's an opportunity in one way to take the lemon, and it seems trivial perhaps, but to take the lemon and come set it on the stage and say, Lord, I'm, I'm giving this away tonight. I don't want to hold on to this anymore. God might bring about breakthrough, and if you want some prayer for breakthrough, we'll be praying for you to remove that lemon, as it were, from existence. But tomorrow it might still be there. But the choice tonight is to, for you to let it go and to grab a hold of Jesus and to receive the finished work of the cross and his resurrection. And to say, Lord, I'm not allowing this thing. I'm not giving this thing any more authority. I'm not giving it any more power in my life. And I'm going to leave it here tonight. And you might want to take it home. And as the phrase says, make lemonade. Maybe you want to take it home and throw it across the ocean. Maybe you want to make lemonade and drink that thing. But in all seriousness, there's an opportunity to do business with God here tonight. And Carl's going to play a song. I've asked him, I picked out a song for him to play tonight. And I really want us to respond to this. If you feel led.